Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Hello and welcome to this very special bonus episode of Psyche Magic. This is a compilation of some of our favorite moments from season one. For those of you who may be new to the show and haven't gotten to binge all the episodes quite yet. We'll be taking the month of December off to rest, reflect, reset, and prepare some very exciting episodes to debut as we continue season two in January. So you'll have plenty of time to catch up over the holidays. I am so incredibly grateful to each one of you who has listened to the show and taken something away from it. It was such a good exercise for me to go back through some of these early episodes, to reflect on how much I've learned thus far, and to reconnect to the why behind this body of work, of which I'm incredibly proud. I noticed something interesting in terms of my personal growth. As season one unfolded, I learned to pull back my commentary a bit during my interviews, slowly but surely letting them breathe and shake and rumble to life in real time. Sometimes my excitability still gets the best of me. Hello, newly diagnosed ADHD. (laughs) But my main takeaway is that the part of me that feels insecure and unqualified sometimes feels like she needs to insert lots of data and facts to prove she's credible. But in listening through these early iterations of my work, I got to see over and over again that the most magical and powerful moments are the spontaneous ones in which my guests and I are mutually trusting each other to lean into our sense of wonder together. We don't have to have all the answers. In fact, the healing I'm doing in making this show is about actively exploring topics for which there is no definitive right way. To every guest who has been brave enough to share and sit in the unknown aspects of their mysteries with me, I see you, I respect you, and I am humbled by you. With that, please enjoy this compilation of some of our most magical moments from season one. In this first section, my guests and I enjoy exploring various layers of symbolism in some of our favorite wisdom traditions, astrology, tarot, and some of the corresponding archetypes as outlined by Swiss psychotherapist Carl Jung, my main man. From the 17th century onward, astrology was no longer viewed as a science, but as a wisdom tradition with remarkable staying power. 
The ability for humans to find meaning here has persisted and even gained traction in recent years. One of my favorite astrologers, Jessica Lanyado, says that astrology merely reflects what is going on in our world. It doesn't make anything happen, but it holds up a mirror. The goal of astrology is that it is a tool to help us feel seen. My parents went to see an astrologer. So that tells you something about Ooh, my family. Okay, and, interesting. I mean, I guess they're open to seeing an astrologer. And that happened when I was like 15 years old, I think. They went without me and they got a reading for me, without oh. me. But oh. they, yeah. So then they came back and they're like, here's the summary of your reading. and they gave me this paper that the astrologer gave them and basically there he drew all these symbols which then I didn't know what they were but they were like the two planets and then that aspect between those planets I guess he outlined some of the main things that he felt like he wanted to talk about stuck out to him Yeah, yeah exactly exactly so I saw a bunch of symbols and then to the right of them explanations of what they mean so that got me super curious, but I think the, the the most important thing that got me super fired up about it is that he's told them that I was going abroad for higher learning and we found out I was accepted to go to a university to America. I mean, that's how I ended up here. And oh. I was only 15 at the time. So it wasn't even common for people to go exactly. abroad for school, nor was it common to go to school at 15. I mean, by the time I got to school, I was 16 already. That's not just so. a cold a cold read trick that no. will apply to most yeah, people exactly. they can have in their back pocket. No. Yeah. This it's not specific. like, your daughter, there's someone she likes, you know, I don't know, whatever. She's got creative fire. Like, all Yeah, right. she's got creative fire. Yeah, exactly. And so he told them that. It just blew my mind. It's like, how in yeah, the world what? would this stranger who's never seen me just know that this huge thing is happening in my life? T. Susan Chang describes her tarot practice and teaching as an exercise in surrender. She asserts that doubt and meaning are reciprocal so that when we sit down for a tarot reading, we must surrender our doubt in order to receive the meaning For her, meaning arises in the presence of doubt. This resonated for me, and I took note of it. So many of us are learning and relearning how to trust. But the foundation of this must always be trust in ourselves. The doubt is important. It's protective. It shouldn't be surrendered automatically. It should be examined and honored. This is the dance of rooted and founded beliefs that feel true in every part of our experience versus beliefs that are untethered, pressured, and even forced upon us. The ones we have to choke down. These days, letting something feel true for me means I have checked in with every part of myself about it. And we are all in agreement. Personally, I feel like with tarot, there's still so much work that needs to be done that can be done to kind of build a relationship and build a a conversation with them. I find that tarot is, and I'm sure that this relates to the way that you deal with it too. It's kind of um, 
the language that both you and your guides? Yes, because it's the language of symbol. And mm. that's also the language that our dreams are speaking. Absolutely. Because they're able to hold all these different meanings within one beautiful symbol. Like it's just, it's a multifaceted language. Absolutely. It really, it couldn't be any clearer. I mean, whenever you're trying to connect with source, divinity, God, angels, whatever it is that you feel drawn to esoterically, um, you have to find some way that you both can communicate. And I feel yes. like tarot is this sort of channeled gift that we were given and that we've collectively kind of been compounding its energy for a couple, about 150 years now yeah. here in the West. And we've just been kind of like pushing and pushing and pushing and making sure that it, it gets packed with all of our energy. And the more we use it, the more it helps us, I think. I agree. It's, I completely agree. It's a really important part of how I communicate with spirit on a, just on a regular basis, how I receive messages. It's become essential to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I, when I first met you, that was absolutely not the case. I thought I was still in the place I think a lot of people begin, which is that, oh, tarot is something that's not accessible to me, right? And that's how a lot of people are introduced to spirituality in general. I can't, I can't access this. I have to get this from someone else. I have to get this from a religion or a priest or a pastor. (laughs) Right? And so that is what ends up becoming traumatic for a lot of people spiritually is that I'm put in this position of power where I can't access this. I have to be told what to do. And so I think that tarot can inadvertently be like that too. Well, I have to go see a reader. Like I, I can't use this myself. And I encourage everyone that that is not the case. Like pick up a deck of cards, start using them. Just pull one card, see what comes up for you. It's valid. Absolutely. I like to think that if you are being called to tarot, that is your permission to purchase a deck or to find a deck. I agree. I agree. Yeah. There's a lot of um, misconception about how, you know, there's these myths that like your first deck needs to be given to you as a gift. And I think that that's a beautiful concept, but I think it's very gatekeepy in a negative, unintentional way. I agree. And I think that if you are, if you're feeling like really curious about it and you want to get to know it, you have your own permission. It's fine. Young gives examples of certain images and symbols from dreams in childhood for which he could not have had any conscious context or working knowledge. Then encountering those same symbols in his reading and his studies later in life. Young believed that the collective unconscious is expressed in terms of archetypes, which can be signs, symbols, or patterns of thinking and behaving the meaning of which is inherited from our ancestors psychically and unconsciously. This is where wisdom traditions like tarot come in, giving us a conscious framework for accessing these archetypes and working with them. Some of the key archetypes Jung outlined are the magician, the hero, the outlaw, the sage, and the mother the mysteries. You're Mm -hmm. on the edge. There's a liminality to her as well. And when you look at the Rider-Waite-Smith card in particular, her throne sits in a field and in the edge of the forest. So that even, holy crap, like even think of the dream I just told you, running through the woods and diving into a stream and there's a stream in her card as well. Yes. Wow. So what lies below the surface? What lies within the woods? And, And those are all such liminal spaces that the river, 
what are, what is the boundary there? Mm -hmm. And then the edge of the woods and she's in this field that's ready to be harvested. And, and she's got this connection to the Demeter Persephone myth and yes. the pomegranate on her and the pomegranate also being that deep red. Mm -hmm. And so there can even be some sort of underworldly, you know, descent into the self mm -hmm. through the Empress and this ridiculous red crystal that follows me everywhere. In my that dream. is, that is really trying to get your attention. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, that is fascinating. I really am. I'm really drawn to this idea. There's a quote from Pam Grossman. Are you familiar with her work? She has a podcast called The Witch Wave, but her book is called Waking the Witch. That's um, it, yeah. <laughs> but she, she has a quote about this in which she says that for those of us who are, you know, walking the path of the witch, which can look so many different ways, it's really about having both an embodied human experience that is connected to all the living things around us and the earth while also having a transcendental experience at the same time. I love it. And I'm getting goosebumps as you say that too. It feels really important. Next, my guests and I share various stories of how enriching and fulfilling it can be to make meaning from our dreams, exploring their emotional salience and letting them work on us over time. Viktor Frankl, who was an Austrian psychiatrist, author, and Holocaust survivor, wrote a seminal book called Man's Search for Meaning, in which he outlines his experiences of being imprisoned in a concentration camp during World War II. During this time, he created this really beautiful framework having to do with mental and emotional survival, which he later maintained as his key approach to psychotherapy. What he discovered was that the people who survived were the ones who retained their capacity to make meaning out of the experiences they were having, even though they were going through some of the most horrific trials any human has ever had. Those who continued to have meaningful exchanges, both internally and socially, were the ones who retained enough hope to be able to sustain their will to live. There's documentation of prisoners in Auschwitz recounting their dreams to each other daily. And when I think about the ways that these humans were clinging to any shred of connection and humanity, this picture of these prisoners waking up and just having a few brief moments to share with each other before having a torturous day, sitting in community and sharing their dream experiences with each other, helping each other to make their dream lives have meaning. When clients bring sort of dreams to me that mm -hmm. they're like frustrated about or, you know, like oh, yeah. oh, dreamed about my ex again, you know, I kind of point to that sort of intra-psychic, what if it's not really about your ex and more like what that sort of character, that person in that yes. dream sort of represents within you. So I love the intra-psychic perspective, but I also really like... I don't know if you've encountered Stephen Azenstadt's Ooh, no. dream tending, but it's really fascinating because he's sort of like, well, what if it's not all about us? Shocking. <laughs> Imagine um, that. What if like, right? What if like some of these beings, characters, mountains, whatever that visit us in our dreams are sort of like, this is the collective unconscious. This being 
wants to communicate a message to you. And what if it's not just this being as a facet of yourself, but it's some other, you know, element of our collective interbeing. And that does, you know, it starts to reach the bounds of my sort of skepticism. However, mm-hmm. I do sometimes criticize sort of Western psychology as being very self-involved. And I really like this notion of what if the dream maker is sending me some kind of message that might be about my interbeing and not just my small self. But those are the ones that really like stayed with me as being just so full of joy and, and just ones I want to hold on to. I definitely held on to them in the coming weeks, you know, thinking about, you know, the one about the Northern Lights really kind of spurring my own feelings for like, yeah, I really, I need something new. I need an adventure. I need mm. some sort of change of pace to get out of these same white walls, right? And then also that like self-care, like nurturing aspect of the second dream with the fox of like, okay, if no one else is going to tend to caring for me, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It means I have to step up and figure out how to do it for myself. Maybe I was like trying to save the person in the front seat or whatever. And like realizing I like can't save people, you know, and like. I say, cause that was happening in your plane dream. Yeah. Too. Who do I save? Who do I save? Yes. Yeah. I always have dreams of like, I'm, I'm supposed to save someone. And I think that's definitely like something I carry like in my family or in like my life and my friendships, I feel like I'm always like, I'm here to like help or save someone. And like, that's not really like the best mentality to be in all the time. So much of what I will be talking about on this podcast is based on the work of dream researchers like Leslie Ellis and Montague Ullman, who advocate for appreciating the dream for what it is, instead of trying to quote unquote, figure it out. This often means practicing engaging with dream material in an experiential and embodied way instead of simply intellectualizing about it. A method I really enjoy is called subjectivity, which means embodying different dreams elements subjectively, viewing each of the characters in dreams as part of our own psyche. This is especially interesting when that random classmate of yours from middle school shows up. With a difficult or confusing dream, it can be interesting to look at the different figures or characters as if they were parts of you and notice how this changes the way you relate to them. And Bear was showing me another way of being in relationship that was not the way that my mother's 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 had been being in relationship for many generations. Yeah. So it was, it was leading up to this, this, my mother claiming her sovereignty saying no more. Yes. And it was her mother that was in the dream with me that the bear came and nuzzled. Yeah. Like I have chills. I'm speechless. (laughs) It's just, it's so humbling. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it is. Even just the language you use, like it is. Bear showed up to teach, like that's kind of personification of like this animal, this spirit is here to guide my lineage, not even just me. Mm-hmm. What a thought. Yes. It's, just, it's like so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel so grateful that I pay attention to the dreaming because. I can see how easy it would have been for me to have those dreams and just not even paid any attention to it and not allowed myself to be guided and prepared. Like there's a willingness that's required of us for the dream medicine to be medicine. 
when I was a kid and having really, really yes. violent and aggressive dreams. Yes. Where I had to be like, okay, this this isn't real. I didn't, because a lot of times I would have dreams of like my whole family dying and I'd be the last one standing. Oh, and as a 12 year old. As a child. Yeah, it's very scary. Cause you're like, well, how did that, like, I don't, I'm not how that person. My, how I did my mind yeah, make that? Exactly. So I think a lot of it, like you, you have to change the narrative on it. Yes. First of all, which took me a long time cause I, they would happen a lot. Um, and them saying when I would wake up and I would be so distraught about them, you care about your, your, the people in your life this much, you would never do something like that. Like your brain is trying to make sense of all of that love and where it comes from and what would happen if it wasn't there. Yes. So, because that is the way that a child's brain works mm -hmm. is that it, we have to think about like, okay, but what if this all goes away? Because we're wired to survive. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that we have to um, like judge ourselves and feel attached mm -hmm. to what's coming up if we can instead just kind of regard it with some curiosity and ask like, okay, like what is this dream trying to kind of illuminate for mm -hmm. me? Like what are the aspects of things that I typically kind of push out of my consciousness yeah. that my my brain wants to kind of fill in yeah. for me? Well, in the, in the airplane dream, I got off of the plane for some reason. Hmm. Like, I and I realized that in my life, that's me being scared of mm -hmm. what that trip could potentially be and what the, these changes in my life could potentially bring. Like that, the thought of change and something new. And I, I mean, I think a lot of women especially have been in the situation of, I've only been in toxic relationships and now I'm in a very healthy relationship and it's strange. I'm like, what do you... What do you mean you're just going to support me? That's weird. Yes. You're bringing something up within me that, because I think with dreams, this happens a lot. They kind of, the details of them come and go. But oh yeah, as you were talking, what I remembered was a lot of my dreams in the water and the ocean were about trying to get through something, right? Or like maybe find land, right? That what you were saying navigating through something and maybe a situation also known as, you know, just not being able to stand on land, you yeah. know, and yeah. finding our feet and bringing that tie back to childhood, like what you were talking about. Yeah, I don't think I had the language either. I didn't have the community. What was presented to me, you know, wasn't necessarily the right thing for me. And that's okay. That what I've realized, like, you know, part of my journey was, you know, being in different communities, maybe that weren't aligned, you know, with my system or my beliefs or my values and really like integrating those parts of my story so that I can move forward, right? Maybe even the judgment and the justice, you know, like evaluate my path. Yes. It's so much what a powerful sort of challenge to be given is that I have to seek out this authenticity in a context that is difficult. Like 100%. It makes it all the more powerful to arrive there. In this section, I share stories from guests about loved ones who have passed away, visiting them in their dreams, and the profound messages of encouragement and comfort they've taken away from these experiences. 
because I've had experiences with loved ones who have passed on. My cousin, she visited me in a dream and we got to spend one last day together and it was amazing. And I mean, I woke up and my whole body was shaking, crying because dream ended. We were having a conversation and I was like, just come back. And she was like, you know that I can't, you know that this, like, I was here to spend this last time with you. And she's like, you know, it's okay. Like, I'm so glad we got to spend this time together kind of thing. But we both, we both have tears in our eyes as we're, as we're talking about this. How old were you when that happened? So she actually, she's probably the person I was like, I I haven't had a tremendous amount of loss in my life, Mm -hmm. but you know, I've lost two grand or three grandparents now. Mm-hmm. And she was, so she was my cousin. She's actually is technically my dad's cousin. And so I actually spent uh, several weeks with her in Roatan, Honduras, where she lived. Okay. And I spent several weeks with her when I was 16. She passed when I was, I think, 19. Okay. So, I mean, obviously known her all my life. She was in her 40s, I believe, mm-hmm. when she passed. But she's definitely the person that I was closest to that has passed. So it was really, really hard for me. I mean, my grandparents, of course, it was hard, but Mm -hmm. it was, you know, I knew it was coming and they were in their 90s, you know, and my cousin, I'm like, she was 40 and it was unexpected. And I had spent so much time, like, you know, just kind of like playing with her. Absolutely. And so like she was, you know, my cousin, we were kids, even Mm -hmm. though she's but you know we had this like childlike relationship okay. and, and it was so fun and so just that shock and I know what about I know there's a element there because I've heard stories like this I've heard stories like this from clients who lost someone suddenly and that person it's like the same story like they'll visit in a dream and they will spend a day together But I had a message from my dad in 2020. His message to me was, you have to dream. That's the only way that you create your future, your happiness, your wholeness. And you have stopped dreaming. You need to dream. That sort of led into, what do I want? Okay, maybe I could go to graduate school. I started yeah. to have visions of what my life could possibly be is where I didn't have that any longer. There can be like an opening. Yeah. And I'm looking at the magician now, by the way. Like magician knows how to dream and imagine and imagine an outcome into being. Yeah. I don't know. It's so personal and weird, but I had this thing of uh, I got visited this time. Like it wasn't through somebody else. It was like the most insane and he like spoke to me but it was too much I couldn't hear his voice because I I wasn't used to it I hadn't heard it in 30 some years what was the context of like receiving this message like what was happening I was going to bed okay yeah you're in that kind of in between yeah and yeah it was like everything around me just sort of dissipated it was like uh the wall, it was like it's in a centrifuge, like the walls just sort of peeled away. It was all like uh, very light and pure. Mm-hmm. And I asked him not to talk because, you know, it was too hard. It was uncomfortable. I didn't 
so he showed me images and stuff. Yeah. But um, one of the things that he, there was a female that showed up in a few different places and it may be my spirit guide. Yeah. Um, and she had me ask, I don't want to say her name because she'll respond. Oh, yeah. To randomly, this sounds so dumb, but she has me to, my guideposts in life that they confirmed is always music. Yeah. I'll be in a spot and I'll hear a song and I'll know that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, definitely. I get messages like that too. Yeah. And that's sort of how they communicate with me. Yeah. Okay. So they, example, they ask to play a song. Mm -hmm. No artist, no nothing. I did it three times and every song was about dreams. I had dream in the title. Wow. And that's when I was like, got it. Yeah. I think that's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And wow. I, yeah. And so that was, I realize now that you know, and I haven't really seen or heard from him since, but that was what I needed to know at the right time. So I remember my my husband, he had had a friend pass away really suddenly too when he was younger. Okay. He had had, it was always one of those things where people talk about like, oh, people come to you in your dreams. And I was like, that's never happened to me. Yeah, like I can't relate to that idea. I don't, yeah. That doesn't, I was like, that's never happened. Like, you know, my grandparents who I adore, no one ever came to me in my dreams, but my husband had a thing where his friend had come to him in a dream once. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And I was like, I don't know if that'll ever happen to me. And like months later she did. And it was the, and it was like one of those things where we were just hanging out and everything was so normal. And then in the middle of it, like I was still asleep and I was still dreaming, but I realized that this was a dream. Yes. And it was just... I think it was the first time that it ever happened to me where I was like, I am dreaming, but I'm aware that I am dreaming and that this is not real. There was a loose, like a lucid moment of, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm aware now. Mm -hmm. I'm aware now. Yeah. And so that was really interesting. And, and then I was like, you know, freaking out. I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? I was like, you're not, you're not here. And she was like, yep, I'm not. It's okay. She's like, you're right. That's yeah, that's true. Yeah. It was really interesting. I, I woke up crying. Yes, of course. Yeah, that actually happened a couple times. Really? Yeah, which is the most, definitely the most powerful dreams I've ever had, right? Where like- Absolutely. Unconsciously or consciously kind of making those connections. Yes. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I finally got, right, where people were like, oh yeah, they come to you in your dreams. And I was like, oh, it's like I really had thought that that was just a load of rubbish for the longest yeah. time, but I get it now. Yeah, I've experienced that now. And and it sounds like, Erica, that this was a, you know, an important part of your processing, like of that event. Yeah, definitely. I think in any situation where people feel like maybe there was something that they could have done. Yes, Erica, yes. There's like a guilt there that yes. you have to process. Yes, And so I definitely think that my being was doing that in ways that I couldn't do logically when I was awake. I see. Oh, that makes so much sense. Again, when you are unconscious, when you're in those back parts of your brain, Uh there's a surrender and a letting go that becomes possible. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's no part of your 
you know, something like it with your logical brain. Like I can't, you know, I suppose I'm not going to say there's no way, right? Like some people, sure, sure. you know, talk to psychics or whatever and they call in people. But for me, I wasn't going to be able to do that. And so I needed, I think, whether it was her, whether it was my brain, yeah. like I needed that permission to like yes. be like, no, it's okay. There's nothing you could have done. Yes. To have that, that kind of internal healing of a moment like that. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So those dreams did that for me. Yes. In a really powerful, like visceral way. Yes. That I think has probably been the most profound dreams that I've ever had. So they were so important. And I think that's the beautiful thing about we all have trauma. We all have, whether it's little T trauma or big T trauma, it doesn't matter what the event was necessarily. It's it's how you hold on to it. It's how you replay it in your head. Exactly. The stories that you tell yourself mm-hmm. about it that might need to be adjusted. Right. And I think there's something about in that dream space where we are able to kind of surrender and yes. that it can be as easy as kind of letting yourself figure it out when you're dreaming a little bit. I couldn't resist including this section from an early episode we did with the fabulous Pfeiffer twins on twin dreams with research and info as to the specific nature of the unique ways that twins dream and their corresponding soul connection. Do twins dream twin dreams? In short, yes, they do. Uh, Empirically. She did a study. Yes, they do. As empirically as you can study. I mean, she she didn't necessarily answer the question of do twins dream the same dreams as each other? But her question was, do twins dream different dreams than singletons? They do. They um, much more often have, I don't want to misquote it, but they have different symbols. Um, I think they have more emotional and more personal connections in them than singletons because my life is like like soul attached to yours exactly like I live my life knowing that I am like attached via my soul to another human being and I have since in utero whereas most other people who are singletons don't they literally are looking for their soulmate their, their partner. They're, they're, I've had our ones my lives. entire life. Like my life is, it, it is, is already complimented by a person. So like, and always has been and al- yes, always I, will I be any other way. Um, so twin dreams have more soul, have more, um, familial members show up in their dreams than singletons do. Okay, I'm so glad you reminded me of this. I have this statistic. The statistic from Runyon says that 44% of twin dreams contain the other twin as a character, 44%. Singletons do not dream that frequently of their siblings. Indeed, only 19% of characters in singleton dreams are other family member, like any other family yeah. member. I mean, the person who pops up in my dreams the most, are not my husband. Um, it's Carrie. I mean, my, my mom pops up in dreams a lot because we're very close with our mom, but it's definitely Carrie is the most prominent figure in my dreams by far. And we don't live together anymore. 
we don't work together. We don't have the same job. Um, I mean, sure, we see each other plenty, but um, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like one of those crystal healing type people, but we are attached by the soul. I don't know what how else there's to say wrong it. With crystal healing. I was gonna say there's plenty, <laughs> there's plenty of room for that on this podcast. Don't worry, person. But um, there's I don't know how else to say it, but I personally believe like that some type of magic for lack of a better word because it's just not studied enough but there is some type of magic that happens in utero when when all the cells were dividing and everything and we were in there for nine months like something happened that's just what i believe i have zero evidence to support it no it's just your experience but, but it's, it's also one of those things like, like you this is a magical connection like the don't understand and it's well, hard to well, it's almost like the spiritual realm like we we know or some people know or at least believe that there that there is a spiritual realm but you, you can't prove it you can't it, see it you can't see it you can't touch it you can't you know so it's like you might know that it's there or feel that it's there but you can't prove it that's how like dreams are and twin dreams are it's like we know that there's a, a connection we know that there's something going on but I don't know what it is and I you can't study it. I it's can't. not palpable. It's it's not visible. You can't taste it. You can't smell it. It's I can't record my dream on video and then and then be like analyze oh, yeah. it like exactly. But I'm glad that you two are bringing this up because on this podcast, I'm interested in all the different ways of knowing, including but not limited to rational modern science, right? Because there are things that science used to think uh, were not true that then got proven to be true. So it's it's uh, always unfolding. And so the things that we know and experience are equally valid here. This next section includes some gorgeous stories from dreams that outline our interconnection with the world around us and with all living things, as well as dreams being a powerful gateway to our creativity. So much of my work comes back to belonging because we are living this dream of exile, which is such a delusion. Yeah. When we say, yes, I belong here, these, this dream landscape is my home. This earth is my home. You know, we aren't just adrift in our exile. We're actually rooted somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that gives us our power back. We get our power back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We get to feel the thing that all humans need to feel the most, which is that I, I belong, I matter. I'm a part of something bigger than just me. Yes. I'm seen, I'm guided. This bear is guiding my lineage. You know, what kind of, what more belonging is that than there's right. a being that's not just looking out for me, but looking out for my daughter through this healing, looking out through for my grandmother through this healing. Beautiful. Powerful. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Extremely powerful. Not only are we connecting with our loved ones, we're connecting other people with their loved ones, we're connecting them with their guides, we're connecting. But that's all, again, this evidence of our interconnectedness. Yes. Yes, Heather. I mean, that's what I'm here for. Me too. I'm definitely here for the healing for myself and for the people that what I'm able to do provides them, but it's being reminded with every connection that we are all connected. I agree. It has completely changed my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have had dreams or a nightmare like that one with the, the creature under the sheet where I went, Ooh, this might be 
this might be the spark of an idea for like a horror movie or a, a sci-fi movie. You know, so I have gotten ideas from dreams, you know, and I've put put some of that stuff into things that I've written. Um, and I know this isn't my story to tell, but recently on the podcast, Riley, our our producer, who's also a very, very talented musician uh, and composes a lot of music for our show, he talked about uh, composing a song in his dream, which he remembered upon waking uh. and then immediately ran to his keyboard and wrote it down. And it was this really cool piece of music. So mm-hmm. I do think we can you know, plunder our subconscious through dreams and get ideas and get inspiration for our creative stuff. A hundred, hundred percent. This section outlines some of our favorite dream work exercises we have explored so far, which you are welcome to make note of and try on your own. I also have to plug our Patreon here because I love it so much and I'm having so much fun over there. We're releasing bi-weekly bonus guided meditations and exercises to help you build sustainable practices for regularly working with your dream material. So be sure to check that out if you haven't already. Active imagination, also called dreaming the dream forward, is the conscious intention to engage the unconscious in waking life by focusing on some image from the psyche and letting it have a life of its own. An example Jung himself gave was to call up any poignant image, such as the mysterious yellow mass from your dream last week, and attend to it and focus on it from a relaxed meditative state until it does something on its own. Admittedly, this can feel a bit strange at first, But it's really an exercise in self-trust. And with time, you'll begin to feel as though you're being guided from the inside out. First, you write out the dream. Then you go back through the dream and you pull every noun. And you write out the noun as if you're describing it to an alien who's never been to Earth. Oh my God, I love this. (laughs) Yes. So you're, uh, again, it's like a doorway into your own subconscious. Like you're unlocking through the description, what is, let's say the noun is a pillow and the description to the alien being is something like a soft, fluffy place to rest my head. So it tells you about what does this mean to you, right? I need to rest my head. I need this comfort of the pillow. So the the adjectives we use to describe it tell us a lot about why our exactly. just chose that object. It's like a sort of different version of a Rorschach test. Yes, where it's like, exactly. let's, let's see what comes up for you and it'll be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Cool. So you write out all the nouns in this descriptive way as if you're writing it to an alien. And then you rewrite the story using those descriptions in place of the nouns. It's very long usually, (laughs) but it's so layered and revealing. After that, you go back and look for what she calls rhyming themes, which means like things that rhyme with is her way of saying it, but are echoes of things that are transpiring in your life. Okay. So let's say in the dream theme, you're naked in a classroom Mm -hmm. 
And in real life or waking life, you've been uh, worried about giving a presentation and at work. So mm-hmm. there's a rhyming there. We know we know where this is coming from. Exactly. This is symbolic. It's indicative of something that is playing out. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that gives us clues about what the dream is trying to reveal to us by seeing where it's connected in our waking lives. Yeah. And then you sum it up by ask, by writing out these prompts. This dream is telling me. And then you just write that out. Then you answer, on another level, this dream is telling me. Mm. Then you answer, the thing I don't want to let myself know that this dream is telling me. <sighs> that out. It's a big one. She would throw that one in there. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> she's, all, she's all about that shadow side. Like, mm, what are you not trying to see? Yes. Yes. What are you hiding from yourself that you actually know, but don't want to admit that you know? Exactly. Exactly. Because we always know. It's right there. It is always right there. Just pretending that it's not. I am whatever that my purpose is. Mm. So what is this, this part of me here to tell me? I like, I dislike. So answering each of those, my biggest fear is this one's always really interesting. So mm. when I ask some aspect of myself that's coming into the dream, what what is your biggest fear? My biggest desire is, and I want to tell the dreamer. So it's a series of seven uh, prompts. Well, uh, I love that it's seven, by the way. Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> Last but certainly not least, this final section features an element of the show that has become unexpectedly essential to the unrequited performer part of me. Readings of poetry and special texts done in a soft-spoken ASMR style. This section includes an original poem written and beautifully read by my lovely guest and fellow therapist, Nat Roth. Just a little relaxing treat for your ears as we bring it home. Rainia Marie Rilke writes, quote, How should we be able to forget those ancient myths that are at the beginning of all peoples? The myths about dragons that at the last moment turn into princesses. Perhaps all the dragons of our lives are princesses who are only waiting to see us once beautiful and brave. Perhaps everything terrible is in its deepest being something helpless that wants help from us. Unquote. This passage echoes a sentiment my guests will speak to, which is the empowerment that comes with learning to face even the scarier aspects of our dreams and indeed ourselves. This approach stems from a sense of cultivating trust in oneself and that all aspects of our psyche can be useful and healing if we can learn to tolerate our anxiety and uncertainty enough to investigate them. This is what I've written, but a lot of the words are from pieces of literature that I read and that influence me. So it's almost like a cut up in my own way. So I'll go on this. Yes, please. So it's called The Dream. A sense of belonging in oneself that is impenetrable undeniable to the naked eye upon the sun, a guttural longing for something more, knowing there must be. I've set my sails, hit the trails, and rode out west. The dream out there is just that, merely a dream. Deep despair, swords of shame, unconsciousness. The awakened and embodied soul, despierto y encarnada alma, soars to the high road. The ultimate piece of mastery, 
the chosen journey, the contract, the hidden country, stoking coals and livening the intrinsic ventral voice within, awakening their neighbors through serpent and spirit songs. Green eyes, wild, and she must be named, honored, delighted upon, the queen of cups, bathing in the moon's luminosity, blessed upon. You know I love you so. Words like waterfalls cleansing my dead skin in the pink ocean. See, she shines so brightly for you. The provoking drumbeat of an inspired soul, la cantadora, no explanation, a declaration. Threshold of adventure awaits, consciousness, life energy, stained glass psychedelic colors in the dark room, peach juice trickling down the back of your arm as summer beckons your call lemon glazing down the crevices as molten lava. Ah, the truth has settled into my heart. I hunted you, craved you, longed wildly in the night forest of you. I left you in the woods, swinging as you were, as the winter leaped into spring. I found you, again, took an Artemisian leap of you. Your doors open, solid, luxurious. I found your life in the black hole sun of creation. There I am, the dream. This reading is a medley from five special texts, each segment randomly chosen via bibliomancy, compiled using Bowie and Burroughs' cut-up technique. The texts will be listed in show notes. No, there is not more beauty here than elsewhere, and all these objects which generation after generation have continued to admire, which inexpert hands have mended and restored, They mean nothing, are nothing, and have no heart and no value. But there was a great deal of beauty here, because there is beauty everywhere. The Hera woman considers her wedding day the most significant in her life. On that day, she acquires a new name. She never keeps her own name. She considers it strictly her maiden name. She now becomes the wife, which fulfills a drive she has felt as long as she can remember. Furthermore, we have not even to risk the adventure alone, for the heroes of all time have gone before us. The labyrinth is thoroughly known. We have only to follow the thread of the hero path And where we had thought to find an abomination, we shall find a god. And where we had thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. Where we had thought to travel outward, we will come to the center of our own existence. And where we had thought to be alone, we will be with all the world. All the world is taken in through the eye to reach the soul where it becomes more representative of a realm deeper than appearances, a realm ideal and sublime, the deep stillness that is, whose whole proclamation is the silence and the lack of material instance in which, patiently and radiantly, the universe exists. 
Emerson would not turn from the world, which was domestic and social and collective and required action. Neither would he swerve from that unperturbable inner radiance, mystical, forming no rational word, but drenched with passionate and untranslatable song. A man should want to be domestic, sturdy, moral, politic, reasonable. He should want also to be subsumed, whirled, to know himself as dust in the fingers of the wind. This was his supple, unshakable faith. Creativity is a shape changer. One moment it takes this form, the next that. It is like a dazzling spirit who appears to us all, yet it's hard to describe, for no one agrees on what they saw in that brilliant flash. Are the wielding of pigments in canvas or paint chips and wallpaper, evidence of its existence? How about pen and paper, flower borders on the garden path, building a university? Yes, yes. Ironing a collar well, cooking up a revolution? Yes. Touching with love the leaves of a plant, Pulling down the big deal, tying off the loom, finding one's voice, loving someone well, yes. Catching the hot body of the newborn, raising a child to adulthood, helping raise a nation from its knees, yes. Tending to a marriage like the orchard it is, digging for psychic gold, finding the shapely word, sewing a blue curtain. All are of the creative life. All these things are from the wild women, the Rio Abajo Rio, the river beneath the river, which flows and flows into our lives. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you again to each and every one of my season one guests. I adore you all and will always hold a special place in my heart for you. Thank you for helping me make this dream a reality. And thank you, dear listener, for joining me on this journey. I hope you'll stay with us. If you believe in this work and want to support the continuation of our show, please join us on Patreon. There we are building a community where you'll find bonus dream work exercises, guided meditations, community events, and so much more. The link to join is in our show notes. Don't forget, if you leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, you'll be automatically entered into a monthly contest to win a free 20-minute shadow work tarot session with yours truly. But please subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. It truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. 
Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you and you could be featured on a future episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at psyche underscore magic. Check out my psyche magic playlist on Spotify. Link is in show notes. Psyche magic was produced and recorded by me, Jordan Hale. Editing for this episode is by Misuzu Inaga. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Grace Fuse and Daniel Higby. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time. <laughs>